So I would try to get to these people when it's in pre-foreclosure before the county auctions it. Then if I obviously can't help everybody, the people I don't help, I'm gonna to go to the auction, try to pick it up there. And then after the auction, there's a very uh, little known strategy called overages. And what that is, if uh, the opening bid on a property is $5,000 and it sells for 50,000, that initial 5,000, that belongs to the county fair and square. Uh, the additional 45,000, that actually belongs to the previous homeowner. Uh, they very rarely know about this money owed to them. And the county makes no effort to get them this money because after a certain amount of time, the county gets to keep that in their slush, slush fund. And so to me, it's, it's very, very sad that uh, if you go into a 7-Eleven store and steal a candy bar, you can, they'll take you down to the police station and, and you'll have a criminal record. The government steals billions of dollars of, of people's money. Uh, there's no problem with that, apparently. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Mike Wolf here with me today. He is a self-made freedom lifestyle entrepreneur, seasoned investor, and international speaker. He's been investing for real estate for over 30 years. I just recently found out he's been a no-bad for the last six years. I'm excited to talk to him about that. And so uh, as a serial entrepreneur, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, thank you for coming, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me, Cody. Good to see you. Awesome, man. Well, hey, listen, um, I kind of want to just jump in with you and get going from the beginning. I usually like to do that. Um, where, uh, As you've been a serial entrepreneur, what have been some of your favorite things that you've done? Oh, boy. You know, uh, I, start, I started off as an entrepreneur in uh, when I was like 12 years old, and I was importing bubble gum. I'm, I'm Canadian. I was importing bubble gum from the U.S. because you guys had better, you had bubble gum, and we didn't have that. So I was importing uh, that. And that was, was there, a lot. Was of, there, was actually, just curious, was there tariffs on this, Mike, or was this a was this an under the under the radar under operation? The, it was a little under it was a little under the table, but uh, so I, I was really enjoying that business till the principal shut me down. But as an adult, uh, boy, I've, I've owned uh, uh, pubs, I've had a tomato sauce company, a furniture company, and all of them were were kind of fun in their own way because uh, one of the things that uh, I don't do is I'm very uninvolved in my businesses. I usually bring in experts. And uh, so a buddy of mine, he's a, he's a restaurant guy. He's, he's uh, expert at pubs and restaurants. So I brought him in, I put up the money, he did all the work and he was happy to do that because that's his passion. And we uh, turned this failing pub into something very successful in a year and a half and we sold it off and made a lot of money on it. So uh, I don't, I still to this day could not run a pub on my, nor would I want to run a pub on my own. So I've enjoyed all my businesses because uh, I, I learned from each of them and uh, they, you know, most of them became uh, successful, but it wasn't because I was the brains behind it. It's because I got 
really good people on my team to help me, you know, take it off the ground. That's one of my favorite stories about entrepreneurship is when uh, I think it's Henry Ford is standing in front of Congress and they're asking him, you know, because they're, they're, you know, they're trying to say that he's uh, manipulating the market and do all this stuff. And they start asking him questions about how do you build this and why does your engine do that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, the, and then finally, the senators are like, you know, like, how can you say that you're a car guy? And he goes, or a, a businessman. And he goes, well, see these guys. He's like, I pay all of them really good money to be able to answer all your questions, right? So it's, it's not always about what you know. It's about being able to put together a strategy sometimes, right? Absolutely true. <laughs> and that's that's awesome that you leverage that. And, um, so I want to talk to you about this. So you've been in a real estate investor for, thir- or really in real estate for 30 years. Kind of walk me through what it is that you have, kind of how you got started and then where you've kind of, where, you, where your focuses have gone over that time period. Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting because I never, ever aspired to be a real estate investor. I actually, uh, I, I remember middle of grade 12, I had no idea what I wanted to be. And, you know, my parents were always putting in my mind, doctor, lawyer, doctor, lawyer. That's all I ever heard. And anybody who knows me knows I'm terrified of blood. So doctor was like off the table right from day one. Well, that makes lawyer out too, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Gotta go with the blood, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, you know, I saw I saw some TV shows and the lawyer's offices always look really cool and fancy. I go, okay, well, maybe I could do that. And so basically went, got my first degree. Uh, with that came a whole bunch of student loans and decided, well, before I get my second degree, I want to pay these things off. And uh, make a long story short, buddy of mine, his mother was a manager at the phone company, got a job there. And while I was there, I bought my first home, my principal residence to live in. And shortly after I did that, my mortgage broker calls me up. And says, hey, Mike, if you want, I can get you another mortgage if you want to buy another property. And I go, why do I want another property? And he goes, well, you know, you put a tenant in there and they pay your mortgage every month. And, you know, 25 years down the road, the home's paid off. You have a clear title home. That's your retirement. I thought, well, that kind of makes sense. So I did. I I did buy the second property. Didn't know anything about real estate investing. So my only due diligence was I think I'll buy something really close to where I live. So it's easy to collect rent. That's pretty much all I knew. But um did that and then as luck would have it the market a couple of years after that took off and all of a sudden i was sitting on a pretty good chunk of equity especially for a young kid in his 20s and i, I remember thinking to myself well over the last two years i made this much at the phone company and i made this much in real estate and i don't even know what i'm doing in real estate and so at that point i was i was hooked and promptly quit my job at the phone company which i don't recommend you do because i realized after well now i don't qualify for a mortgage anymore but that's another story and I also told my parents, no, like I'm, I'm not living your dream anymore. I'm not becoming a lawyer. I'm becoming a real estate investor. Now, the only problem with that, I wish, I wish the story continued on a really happy note. Uh, after that, I managed to get into my next property, which was a total disaster. Lost a lot of what I made on the, uh, the previous deal. And the only reason that I got back up again, you know, my parents were telling me, you know, you need to go get, go get your second degree so you have something to fall back on. And I said, I don't need that second degree. And so I, I had already told my parents they were wrong and I couldn't go back and tell them they were right. So I had to figure this out. So I basically, after that, I hired a mentor. Uh, uh, basically he showed me how to do this properly. And uh, here we are 31 years later and it's not hundred percent all upwards, you know, and, and perfect and rosy, but uh, definitely more good than bad. So here I am. That's awesome, man. I, um, so I heard in there, you hired a mentor on how to do it properly. And so how would you describe on how to do it properly as people are listening now? And, um, you know, mind, mind you, most of the people listening are parents and the ability to talk to their kids. So if we can educate them earlier 
um, they have so much more time horizon. So if you could share a little bit about how you see the proper way to do it, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for real estate, first of all, um, when I bought that first property, my mortgage broker said, hey, you can hold this for 25 years, and it'll be paid off. And so originally that was a long-term investment. Well, once I quit my job, I was switching strategies. I didn't really realize that I just thought, oh, well, I, I made this paycheck in two years. I'm sure I can figure out how to do this every like 60 or 90 days. So um, when, when you're trying to do a quick flip, that's a lot different than buying and holding a property for cash flow. Those are two very different uh, strategies. So my mentor basically showed me, well, here's, you know, here's the things you need to do. You, you have to have a much better deal, first of all, if you're going to you know, flip this thing in 60 or 90 days and you have to create some sort of value in it. And so um, you know, my mentor basically uh, held me by the hand. We actually did the deal, the next deal together. And uh, you know, if, it were, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't still be in the, we, I might be talking about law right now with you. Uh, but my advice would be, you know, get your kids good mentors right from the get-go. Just like I said, when I had my pub, I didn't try to figure out how to, how to own a pub. I just brought in somebody who's already an expert at that. And so uh, we, we did a joint venture and the joint venture basically said, okay, I'm putting up all the money. You're never gonna have to take a dime out of your pocket for this pub. But even if I'm sitting in the pub, hanging out with my friends, if a, if a server doesn't show up, I'm not, I'm, I'm not working a day in this pub. I'm the money guy, you're, you're the worker being, he was happy because his happy place is hanging out in his restaurants all day long. For me, I can't think of anything worse. Like I would hate that. So, uh, so I would say one, get, uh, get people that are experts and two, make it worthwhile for them as well. Give them, you know, if, if you're bringing somebody on, I gave him 50% ownership in a pub with no money. So that was a big win for him, but he knew how to make this thing tick without him. It would have like, there's no way I could have, even to this day, even after watching him for a year and a half that we owned it, I couldn't do it my, on my own. There's no way. And so just get the right people in, on your uh, team, get the right people to mentor you, the people that are already doing the things that you want to do. And it's going to make your life so much easier instead of, you know, trying to, uh, you know, do the trial and error thing It's very, very expensive. And if I would have hired the mentor before I did that second deal, I would have, it would have been, uh, I would have saved so much money. Uh, that loss was, it was massive and it could have knocked me out of the game except that I was too proud to tell my parents that they were right. So that's why I'm still here. Man, there's so much in there that I just heard that I, I, I caught as lessons um, that have learned along the way. And, uh, you know, one of them in there was um, that you set the expectations and the parameters of the partnership if you go into one. That right? is so huge. Yeah, yeah. So you sit, you kind of breeze right through that. And you're like, Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to put the money up. You're going to do this. I'm not working in there. You're working in there. Here's the deal, you know, and you, and you set the deal in terms. And so it was understood prior to going into the deal. So you don't have that. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know the word for it. Maybe like, in, uh, misunderstandings or Absolutely. hurt feelings or whatever, like, you know, that goes into a lot of business partnerships is if you don't set the standards from the beginning, there's kind of a lot of what ifs or you should be doing more or I should be doing mm -hmm. more or there's like guilt and anxiety Absolutely. and like all that stuff. And so it's a lot like a, a lot like a business relationship is a lot like a marriage and you want to have these discussions before you jump in. I mean, if you want to talk about, hey, do you want kids? I want kids. Do you want kids? You want to have these discussions before you get into business with somebody because it's, it's a lot easier when okay, you're, you're both excited and yeah. hey, we're starting something new. It's a lot better than when you're going through that uh, argument phase. Uh, once that argument phase starts, it's like, no, remember we talked about this? So you put it all in writing, put it in a, in a joint venture agreement, 
and you lay out all the terms in advance so that that way it's like there's no misunderstanding and i'm really happy to say that my my business partner and i are still really good friends and if another similar opportunity came up we do it all over again a hundred times because we're still on the same page and, and it was a uh, you know it was a great win for me and a great win for him we both got what we wanted out of that uh, business yeah and it was amazing just to that little story that i heard another thing too which is um i think a lot of people look at this the wrong way uh which is you said that if i had had the mentor i would have saved a lot more money and so when i think about hiring professionals like attorney accountant uh banker insurance person like i want to pay a little extra because it's gonna it can save you massive amounts of money or partnering up with somebody you're not losing half you're gaining their knowledge Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that pub would have never happened if it weren't for my partner. My tomato sauce company would have never happened without my partner on that. Every, every business I've done, uh, you know, I, I think most uh, business should be a team sport. And there's so many solopreneurs out there. And uh, a lot of times that, that's really our bottleneck. We're, we're our own bottleneck because we're afraid to put other people on the team. And you can't really, can't really grow. Uh, I'm, I'm an ex-workaholic, by the way. And I'm, I'm a recovered workaholic, now turned playaholic. And that was one I got, of my, I got my coin. <laughs> yeah. well, that, that was my, one of my biggest lessons is trying, you know, not trying to do everything on my own. And as entrepreneurs, we, we are, we're all control freaks and we all think nobody can do it as well as we can. And as soon as you kind of get over that mindset and you realize that there are other smart people on this planet besides you, uh, then you can get your freedom. But a lot of us never get to that point. Well, for me, the sad thing is, it's not a sad thing. It's just the realization that I had to come to was like, I really like building. Like I like the the tinkering, the figuring out, the pieces putting together. And I think I'm a good operator and I really am not. Like I've every every successful business I've had has had a great operator. Now I have moved the goalpost for the business because I question everything and push it, right? As the as the entrepreneur side, but it really, really has helped me every time where I've had an operator type person that can do the day to day that doesn't have the, doesn't necessarily, maybe they don't have the giant ideas or the break this type of mentality, but they also need to tell me when I may have bad ideas. Right, because I right. sell myself on every idea that I have. I'm, it's like, oh, this is gonna be great. And then it's just like, and then it's like, you know, a month and a half later, it's just, it's not even to be heard of again, you know? And but, so. But I, I think I think 90% of the battle is a realization that like most, most of us entrepreneurs, we're dreamers and we can see, you know, we can see way into the future and, and yeah. so we can see stuff other people can't see. We can see the, the final product at the top of the ladder, but we don't know how to get to the first rung. And so we, <laughs> we have this big dream and we need people on our teams that can say, okay, well, here, here's the next step. Here's the next logical step. Cause sometimes we're like light years ahead in what we're seeing, but we just can't see what's right in front of us. And so yeah, for me, the other part too, is like, uh, it's like, okay, you gotta do the, you gotta do X, Y, Z every day to make this business work. And it's like for two weeks, I'm like, Oh, I'm killing this. And then it's like, I need something else to do. And it's like, yeah. like you know, you just start, you can't, you don't have that. Uh, it's just, we're built a lot of times differently in those situations. And Absolutely. so I couldn't agree with you more about if, if you're that, if you have a kid that's that kind of way, or if you're that kind of way, like, Find, it's totally, it's, it's, it's actually, I would highly recommend finding partnerships with people that don't think like you or have that same, I guess, internal uh, mentality of 
you know, break everything and fix it, right? <laughs> like yeah, they're the well, ones that we're, we're all wired differently, and there's, yeah. there's everybody's got different areas of expertise and different different gifts. Absolutely. A lot of, yeah, a lot of us entrepreneurs, our gift is is just having that ability to to really dream and think really really big. And uh, the problem with that is a lot of times we can get really we can get ourselves excited, but we don't really know how we're going to get there. And to me, to me, there's never really a how problem. It's always a who problem. It's who who knows how to get there because. Yeah, you, know, you just have to get the right people on your team. I could have never done 99% of the businesses that I've been involved in. I could have never done by myself. There's no, there's no way. So yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. Um, and so I kind of want to shift for something on this. So it was, it was one of the things that um, I, you know, uh, we had kind of pre-talked about in the interview and those kinds of things. And so um, as a, as a real estate guy with the, you know, massive interruption that we've had for 2020 with COVID and, you know, leaving everything else that has kind of been, you know, all the noise and stuff that's been outside of there. But like, just on the COVID side of things, like, it has had a, a, a profound impact in the real estate world. And so I'm wondering if you could kind of walk me through on your thoughts about where we're at, you know, what's, I'm sorry, what's happened? And, um, and then what you see coming in using that future vision, right? Using some of that future vision, at least as best as possible. Uh, kind of walk me through what you think is going to happen in the next or where the opportunities are going to be here uh, coming up. Yeah, well, I mean, you pretty much can't shut down the global economy and expect that things are going to be how you left it before. So that uh, version of normal that we had, that we the things that we considered normal in 2019, that world is gone. We're not going to see that world again. We're going to have a new version of normal. And so what's, what's obviously, you know, very likely to happen. And after you've been doing this a long, long time, you see the same patterns over and over and over again. So uh, I'm not a fortune teller, but I've seen, I feel like I've seen this movie before and I know the ending. Uh, but uh, what we're going to see is obviously a lot of people in trouble. Uh, the, you know, there's going to be a lot of chaos. There's a moratorium on foreclosures right now. That's not going to last forever. The government's sending out checks to people. That's not going to last forever. Uh, there's going to be a lot of changes. And with those changes and with chaos comes opportunity. And, and what I believe we're going to see probably in around six months from now is likely to be one of the biggest, probably the biggest transfer of wealth in history. And when we talk about a transfer of wealth, uh, the key word there is transfer. It's not that money doesn't disappear when these businesses shut down. The, the money's going somewhere. And you know those uh, those snow globes, you shake them up and those little things come down that are, that are snowflakes. Well, if those were $100 bills, they're, they're floating from the top. And for people who are in the know at the bottom, they're gonna be able to collect some of those $100 bills or $1,000 bills or million dollar bills. So what we're gonna see is a lot of opportunity. We're gonna see a lot of people selling off their, uh, their uh, properties. We're gonna see a lot of people uh, in pretty big uh, you know, pretty big trouble. And we're also going to see like a, one of my favorite strategies is something called tax deeds, for example. And when people haven't paid their property taxes in, in a bunch of years, the county needs that money for their schools and their hospitals and the police force. And they auction these prop properties off. Well, my, my favorite auction takes place in Houston, Texas. It's been closed for eight months now. And in any given month, we'll see, pro you know, 500 to 1,000 properties change hands. So multiply that by eight or nine or 10 or however long it takes before it's open again. And then add all these properties that would have got foreclosed on, you know, over this past year that didn't. Uh, there's going to be a ton of opportunity just there alone. Uh, and, you know, I, I, to, to give you some context, I've seen 
single family homes that are worth maybe a hundred thousand dollars sell for seven. I've had students pick up properties for 7,000 bucks, single family homes. And that's not the down payment. That's the actual purchase price of the home. So we're going to see a lot of, uh, pre foreclosures, which means people in trouble, they haven't lost it to the bank yet, which is one of my favorite things. Cause I love to help these people try to help them either stay in their home or give them what I call soft landing, meaning that instead of them losing the home to the bank and, you know, walking away pretty much with nothing, I like to make sure that they, uh, have a place to live, uh, have a damage deposit, several months rent, money for food, et cetera. And then I like to help them get back on their feet again. Uh, so there's gonna be a ton of opportunity. There's gonna be a lot of people needing help. And for me, I don't really like the term uh, real estate investor. I like the term problem solver. And the more problems you know how to fix and the more people you can help, uh, the more money you're gonna make. And so uh, there's gonna be a ton of opportunity in 2021. Um, and uh, uh, it's going to be really bad for some people and really good for some, some other people. And I think there's the opportunity though, for the people who do really well with this to create win-wins for those people that are not doing so well. And, and once again, give them a soft landing and help them out. So let's talk about how the sausage is made on that, right? Like, let's talk about, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about on tax deed sales because, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more and, and I don't want to sound like callous about people, you know, like you said, it's, it's a problem solving issue because the problem is there regardless of whether we try to, to do something with it or not, it just creates opportunities for those willing to move things. Because if we don't buy out foreclosures, they sit empty, they, you know, get dilapidated, they don't have places to live, there's no reset in the market. And so I don't want to come out from that angle of where people think that like we're talking about, you know, oh, we're kicking people out of their houses and doing those kind of things. Most of these foreclosures that we're talking about that haven't happened in 2020 aren't from 2020. They were foreclosures from 2019, 18. I mean, it takes a really long time to go through those things. And especially on tax deed sales, like they usually have to be delinquent for several several years, don't they? Yeah, usually in in, uh, in Houston, for example, the Harris County auction, uh, usually at least three years. So yeah, so I, I don't want people to think that like we're in here like kicking out COVID people and like doing things. But, like, but what you're talking about is the same thing that I've kind of seen here is that if you have, say 500 foreclosures usually going through per month, and they put a moratorium on it, and these foreclosures are from 2017. Um, and, and they're now coming through the courthouse. And you haven't done it for eight months then there's 4,000 backlog foreclosures. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, all the people who normally buy those, because a lot of that's bought by mom and pop people, right? And Absolutely, so yeah. you don't have the capacity to go buy 8,000 of them at one, you know, at one time. And so what that does is it creates, it actually drops the pricing for a lot of other people that maybe have never thought about doing something. Is that the way you see it? Absolutely. But here, here's, here's a good thing because I don't want people to think we're putting salt on the wounds of people that are already, you know, we're not kicking people while they're down. So every, every month when, when obviously when there's no COVID and there's going to be an auction taking place, the, uh, the county will publish a list of all the properties that are going to go up for auction. And to, most people just take that list, they do their research and, and show up at the auction and bid. Well, somebody like myself, to me, I look at that list and that's a list of people in trouble. I'm not going to wait till the auction. I'm actually going to go try and track down these people and come up with a solution for them to help them not lose the home. So sometimes there's, there's two different types of people. I used to, I had a company back in uh, the last big recession, 2000, you know, 2007, 2008, I had a company called Foreclosure Fixers. 
And you know how you get all those postcards in the mail saying we buy homes, we buy ugly homes, we'll give you cash for your home. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I instead sent out a brochure that said, I can help you stay in your home. I can help stop the foreclosure. And so uh, two different types of people would call me that, you know, so there's sometimes bad things happen to good people and, you know, they get divorced, they get sick, they lose their job. And I can't think of a time in history where more good people are being affected by something not in their control. There's people right now that have never been laid on a mortgage payment in their life and they've got no choice because they're, they're, you know, their business shut down. But anyway, I'd sit across the table from them and, uh, you know, listen to their story and, and, you know, calm them down first of all, because they're, you know, they're, they're very, very close to losing their home. And then I, I'd figure out, well, sometimes these, these people, if they lost their job, for example, and now they've got another job, they can maybe afford the monthly payment. They can't afford the arrears. If they're 10,000 or 20,000 behind, they can't afford that. So sometimes I would loan them that money and they would make me, you know, they pay it back in installments and I'd help them actually stay in their home if they could afford to. Uh, there's a second type of person that would call. And these are people that just live beyond their means and we could have be in boom times right now. And they're just, you know, one, they, they, they miss one paycheck, they can't afford the house because they're living way beyond their means. And people like that, those are the ones I'd usually give the soft landing for. And so, as I mentioned before, I'd always make sure, you know, I'd buy their home from them. Or sometimes I do a joint venture with them and say, listen, instead of losing your home to the, to the county or the bank, why don't we fix it up, put it on the MLS and get, get this thing sold. At least you'll walk away with some money. And I'd put up the money for the repairs. I'd, I'd take a piece of the profit, obviously, because I'm investing in it. But I create a win-win for them and I'd make sure they were in a better spot. Sometimes I buy the house myself. Sometimes it's like literally days before the auction. So I buy the house, but I always make sure they had a place to go. Because a lot of these people, they literally had no money. They'd be, they'd be uh, you know, literally going to live on the, on the streets or who, who knows where they'd be going, but they certainly wouldn't have money for rent. And so um, to, to me, I, I like to call this a trifecta of real estate. So I would try to get to these people when it's in pre-foreclosure before the county auctions it. Then if I, I obviously can't help everybody, the people I don't help, I'm going to go to the auction, try to pick it up there. And then after the auction, there's a very uh, little known strategy called overages. And what that is, if uh, the opening bid on a property is $5,000 and it sells for $50,000, that initial $5,000, that belongs to the county fair and square. Uh, the additional $45,000, that actually belongs to the previous homeowner. Uh, they very rarely know about this money owed to them. And the county makes no effort to get them this money because after a certain amount of time, the county gets to keep that in their slush, slush fund. And so to me, it's, it's very, very sad that uh, if you go into a 7-Eleven store and steal a candy bar, you can, they'll take you down to the police station and, and you'll have a criminal record. The government steals billions of dollars of, of people's money. Uh, there's no problem with that, apparently. So uh, so really cool strategies. You track down these uh, people that are owed money by the government. Uh, say, hey, listen, I know somebody owes you $45,000. If you're willing to split that with me and you get to negotiate what that split looks like, it could be 20%, 10%. 50%, whatever you negotiate with them. But if you're willing to split that with me, I will get you this money and you only pay me if I'm successful in getting it for you. So uh, in so, this case, you're, you're I, helping. Oh, oh, I, wanna, I don't want to glaze past that because I just heard an amazing opportunity to not only, like if, if there's a young go-getter out there or a family that wants to find a side hustle, like, you know, it's one thing to sell trinkets on Etsy and, and you know, make, make uh, you know, coasters and try and ship them out at $3 a piece. Like, you know, you, you just went past through something that says, okay, here's $45,000 that's owed to a homeowner that just went through foreclosure and lost their house. 
and has nothing, you know, there or whatever the situation is, but they're owed this money. And you can be an aggregator of finding that money for them, finding the people, and then negotiating a piece of that. So let's say it's 20%. You get $9,000. They get $36,000 they didn't know that they had. And everybody wins. But you could do that with zero dollars out of pocket, right? Because this is Absolutely. all public information. Absolutely. Yeah, this is all yeah. stuff that anybody can do. Uh, requires little or no cash. And, and that's the other thing is, you know, a lot of people listening might say, oh, I'd love to get started in real estate, but I've got no money. It's, that's what I, that was kind of my point is like, I, I'm just thinking in my head, like if you were going to do, even if you were just doing a side hustle type thing or whatever, you know what I mean? Somebody wants to get ahead and do those things, but a young person could do that too. Oh, easily. And, and there, there's so many strategies, by the way, in real estate that involve little or no cash, by the way. So, um, well, it's kind of funny because a lot of people come to me and that's exactly what they say, Mike, I'd love to get started, but I have zero. And I go, Hey, when I, when I got started, I was aspiring to get to zero because I my <laughs> net worth was net negative, like 25,000 bucks in student loans. I was trying to, I was working my way to zero. So I told you a little bit of my story though. And I said, I got, I got financially free at 39 years old. And people were like, well, I can't do that. You know, I was born, I'm like, well, at 28, I was $700,000 in the hole and I wished I was broke. You tell me you're broke. Okay. Like I wished I was you and yeah. I did it in, I did it in 11 years. And so like, you know, there's no, you can't give yourself those excuses, right? Because yeah, you got, if you don't have resources, you got to be resourceful. That's so true. And, um, and, and, and I love that idea. So tell me this, like, how would you, if you don't mind sharing, like, how would you go through and, and do things like overages? Like, where would you, where, where would someone start if there was a, if there's a go-getter, go-hustle, 17-year-old learning about this right now, like, what would you suggest for them, uh, you know, uh, out there to, to, to figure out a little bit about that? Or do you teach about that? Like, how do you? Yeah, I actually do some trainings. I wasn't doing very many trainings until like pre-COVID. I was a nomad and I was pretty much retired and I do the odd training here and there. And then COVID gave me this extra bandwidth because I'm not bouncing around the world anymore. I'm, right now I'm hanging out in Mexico and I'm, I'm staying in one country this year, at least so far. And so I've, I've created some, some different trainings. Right now I've got actually a free ebook, which I'm happy to share with your audience if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so they can just go to my website, uh, mikewolfmastery.com. And uh, there's a little tab that says free ebook. And you can, it talks about the top strategies you can do right now. And so it'll give you a kind of an overview of some of the best strategies going into COVID, things you can do from your own home. You don't have to go look at properties. You don't have to you know, be walking through. Uh, you don't have, if, even if you're locked down, you can do a lot of these strategies and most of them require very little or no money. So um, that's a fantastic that's offer, man. I love that you put that out there because it's, uh, I, man, I, so I owned, I owned a mortgage company and I also had a foreclosure website before this was 2006, seven, you know, before there was foreclosures on every corner and eight, you know, down in South Florida. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I would go to these seminars and I would listen to these guys that were pitching these, you know, they're pitching their $495 DVDs and they would tell people, Hey, if you found a house worth this, you just walk into your local bank and they'll give you a loan based on that number. And I'm like, that is not how that works at all. Like I own a mortgage company, like yeah. you can go get a hard money loan maybe, but you can't do these zero money strategy. Like, Oh, you don't have to have any credit. You don't have to have any money. They'll just base it on the house. You just walk into Wells Fargo to give you a loan. I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not how this works at all. But I love the fact that, cause there are a lot of niches. So wholesaling tax deed sales, you know, um, uh, on terms, you know, for, and those kinds of things like, 
there are there are really good strategies that you can do with no money. It's not Absolutely. generally flipping though. You know what I mean? It's not you to acquire a house, have the money to repair it, and then turn it around becomes very difficult if you don't have some sort of basis, you know, for a, a money lender and that kind of things. Yeah, yeah, I mean, a great way to start is, and you mentioned it, is wholesaling, for example. And wholesaling, for those who don't know, is basically putting putting something, a home under contract and giving yourself a way to get out of that contract in case you can't resell it. And then finding another investor to do the deal. So, so let me give you an example. Uh, let's say Cody uh, was driving around today and he saw this home, it looked really dilapidated called the owner, said, listen, you're, you're, you know, I don't know if you know this, but your home's sitting vacant in the wheat. I don't know if you know this, but it looks like it's been pretty neglected. And the guy goes, oh, I, I thought the tenants were still there. No, they did a midnight move. And now, now this guy is willing to sell you the home. I'm just going to use really easy numbers. The home's worth 200,000. They're willing to sell it to you for 100,000. You write a contract on it. Uh, and uh, you're going to put a clause in there that gives you a way out, such as subject to inspection. So that, that way, and, and then the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna jump on, on the phone and call somebody like myself and say, listen, Mike, there's this property, I've got it under contract. It should make you $100,000. If you're willing to give me $20,000, I'll assign that contract to you. What that means is you're never gonna, you're not gonna actually close on that home. You're never gonna uh, go and flip the home. You're just gonna uh, sell that contract. That's called assigning. You're gonna sell that contract to another investor. And now I pay you $20,000. If I, if I succeed, make 100, awesome. I, I just netted 80K because I paid you 20 of it. But even if I lose money, you still get to keep that $20,000. So that's wholesaling. But then you might get a little bit more sophisticated. You might say, hey, Mike, um, I found this property and I think there's $100,000 profit in it. If you're willing to put up the cash, I'm willing to do the deal with you and we can split it 50-50. So now you just gave yourself a raise from 20,000 to 50,000, both ways requiring no money. Actually, you might need a dollar. Some places legally have to have a dollar to make a contract legal. I, I would also, I want, to, I want to give you one second there too. This is where we were talking about earlier about having that mentorship of 50% because I also, you're going to look at my deal. Exactly. Right? And so you're going to be like, uh, hey, Cody, uh, did you know there's a, um, you know, we did a title search. There's a sinkhole under this thing and it's going to take $80,000 to fix it. And then by the time realtor fees are going to be there, like you're, it, it, you, you got to, you got to sell us for two fifty. It's not worth it, man. This is a deal to walk away from because exactly. the, 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 the ability to say no and, and partner with somebody also, and they can, get, you, you instantly get the speed of their brain power and their mistakes along the way. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. but, but there are ways, but both those required $1. You could do this deal either, either way that I just told you with $1. If you, if you, if you don't have a dollar, I'll even send you the dollar. So, but I mean, th think about my partner in, in the pub deal. He had, he didn't have a dime in there and he co-owned a pub with zero down. So he was willing to trade his time. And if you, if you have some time, if you don't have a lot of money, but you have time, uh, time is very, very, you know, their time is very finite. Money's unlimited. There's a, you know, just ask the U S government, they can print as much as they want, whenever they want. So money is readily available. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of people think that's a big hurdle of money. Money is like easy. It's a time thing that you can't make more of. So if you have time uh, and you have some, a little bit of education around you know, how to do some of this stuff, it, it's, a, it's a gold mine. Yeah, and, and it's also leverage um, to have those conversations because even if you went and went to 10 investors and you had an idea to, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever you're, whatever, you're you know, you, you make this widget and you're really good at it and you wanna open your own widget making company and you start going to investors, trying to find people, and you go to the first guy and he says, no, why not? 
well, here's where I see the pitfalls, right? And then so you, you change, your, you, tweak your, you tweak your plan a bit and then you can get to the next guy and you go, hey, why not? You know, and he says, no, and you, why not? And then you can tweak a little bit, but you're also, what you're doing is you're leveraging their abilities, you know, because as a, as a and, and people don't understand, like if you hustle like that, in the beginning when you don't have any money or you really are really behind the eight ball and you really don't have, you, you really owe a lot of money, right? Like I did. Um, one of the things that like, it, it, all you want to do is you, it's, it's almost impossible for you to see ahead and go, well, if I had money, I could do this, right? And then the flip side of that is once you get on the other side of that and you've had some businesses and some success and there's some nest eggs and some money and you quote, call yourself, quote, unquote, an investor, you don't want to spend the time anymore, right. you know? And so it's it's not like you're not looking for people that have the opportunities because your money sitting still doesn't do much at all. And I mean, if you want to try and collect money in a savings rate right now of 0.15%, you know, which is $15 and a hundred thousand dollars in a bank, crazy? Uh, you know? Yeah. And so like, if you gave me an opportunity and said, Hey, take this hundred thousand dollars and you're going to make 15% back on your money. So you're going to make $15,000 a year versus $15 a year. Like that's a different conversation. And so I would encourage people to think of it that way. If you don't have the money, again, it goes back to, if you don't have the resources, be resourceful. Right. And yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. And the thing I like that you said though, is, you know, if you get a no, ask why, don't, don't just give up and say, oh, well, he didn't like it. So I'm done. I'm, I'm giving up, throwing in the towel. Because to me, a no is, is an, it's a not yet. It's like, mm -hmm. so if you can find out why, why they don't want to do that deal with you and tweak it and make it so something that they do want to do. Uh, and then the other thing is as you take it to more people, it might be a no for them, but it might be a yes for somebody else. So I, I like what you said there. You know, it also works in banks. Right. I think that's one thing that people don't really understand is that like I worked, uh, I was a commercial banker for Wells Fargo um, in nine, 10 and 11. Right. And so Wells Fargo was like, they bought Wachovia and they go, our box is this big, right? If the government isn't guaranteeing the loan, don't bring it here. And I had loans coming in from all over the place. And I literally would take, I'm like, you got to go to this bank. I'm like, cause our bank would say no. And I'd be like, no. And I, I literally closed more loans at regions and at this community bank than I did at Wells Fargo that year because I was just walking over full packages because I did, because what would happen is I tell the business owner, I'm like, sorry, we can't do the deal. And they just would stop trying because they're like, oh, this isn't a good deal. You don't realize you, that different banks like different things. And, you know, there's a creative type of bank, which is generally your small bank, which is, you know, community banks, um, sometimes, sometimes credit unions, uh, depending on where you live, they have different strengths. And then the big banks and they all do different stuff. And so you can shop those kind of deals and don't be afraid to do that. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, just think back to my foreclosure fixers business. I would loan people money that were in foreclosure. So who's going to do that? Very. I mean, <laughs> not, no, no bank is going to do that. But there's some. There's there's different loans for different types of uh, situations. So you just never know. Yeah. And how? how just real quick, because we were coming up on the end of the time. But um, where would you suggest if people wanted to go find out people like yourself that are investors? Where would you tell them to look? Because that's always the secret, right? Like the the secret is where do you find the people that, that will be willing to invest or give loans and those kinds of things? Yeah, that, I mean, I think the best resource uh, was a little bit better before COVID, but uh, the best, one of the best resources is like meetup.com mm. and just look for local uh, real estate investment clubs in your area. And, uh, you know, when you go to those meetings and now there's a lot of them happening online, but when you go to those meetings, you know, you have some people like myself that don't really have a lot of time, but, uh, Hey, if you can bring me a deal, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to, to, you know, do it, do the deal with you. I'll JV with you. And then there's other people there that have lots of time, but no money. 
And so it's a great place to meet, you know, a potential partner. So if you're, if you're whatever resources you're lacking in, you can go find somebody else that has those resources and team up and collaborate and turn something into a deal. Yeah, uh, the RIAs, right? R-E-I-A, right? Absolutely. So you can type in your city and then just type in R-E-I-A or Real Estate Investment Association. And there's usually a RIA somewhere around almost every city in, you know, around, you know, almost every city in America has it has a RIA in it. You know, quite a few of them have numerous. Yeah, quite a yeah, few of them have yeah. numerous if it's your in a big city. And, and if anything, a lot of times what they do is they put on educational seminars too. Like they'll, you can go in and they'll have experts come in and speak and do those kinds of things as well. And so it's a great place to Absolutely. network. Um, Mike, I want to say thank you so much for coming on Money Talkers with me. Um, where can people find out more about what you do? Yeah, best bet is to check out my website, MikeWolfMastery.com. Uh, or you can email me info at MikeWolfMastery.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Awesome, man. We'll have to play the game. Where in the world is Mike Wolf? Uh, maybe next year. <laughs> I hope so. I hope we get to play that game. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on Money Talkers. And, uh, and those listening right now, make sure you go check out MikeWolfMastery.com. He's got a free ebook for you. He's got a whole bunch of different ways you can invest in real estate. A lot of them are no money out of pocket. Um, if you're going to be stuck at home right now, I think it's a great time to go out there and, uh, and at least start to talk about the things and then sit down. And who knows, maybe you build a business and with your kids, but I know this, your kid made a $9,000 commission. It beats working for $10 an hour for 900 hours. So think about that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kids' financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker. <laughs>